Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndieSports.com on the Rivals Network. It feels more like summer than spring in South Bend this week, and the Irish are one week away from the end of spring football with the blue-gold game. Notre Dame will have a pretty active closed scrimmage Saturday, and we'll speak to head coach Marcus Freeman, offensive coordinator Jared Parker, and defensive coordinator Al Golden after the practice. But before we get into all that on InsideIndieSports.com, we wanted to catch up with one of the -the behind-the-scenes stars of the show next week, and that's Notre Dame Assistant Athletic Director of Alumni Engagement, Hunter Biven. You may recall last year that Hunter, a former Irish offensive lineman, played a big role in getting many former Notre Dame football players back on campus for the Blue Gold game, and he's working to do so again this year with hundreds of guests expected. Hunter, thanks for joining us. Thanks, really appreciate it. Uh, I'll, I'll make sure you get that $20 bill for calling me a star of the show. <laughs> Hunter, let's rewind a little. How, how did the idea of being more proactive in getting alums back on campus for the Blue Gold weekend come about? Yeah, so it all kind of started uh, really during kind of the peak of COVID 2020. Um, I was still in my previous role and, and went to Ron Paulus and said, hey, um, you know, we've got a really untapped resource in, in our former player population. We've got some heavy hitters, guys that uh, have done really, really well in their in their lives after Notre Dame. And um, wanted to see if we could tap into that for our current players um, from a career networking standpoint, from an advice standpoint. So we created this thing called the Legacy Network um, and spent the, the next year really trying to build that out, build a database of all of our former players, what they're doing, where they're at, and all of those things. And then uh, when Coach Freeman um, became the head coach, it was something that he really bought into and um, has really kind of given that vision life and, and has done a great job given it the, the spark it needs and and him and I kind of came up with this idea to to bring everybody back for the spring game uh, to sort of put that network on display and then bring it into the flesh so to speak so uh, coach Freeman I give all the credit in the world to him he's super passionate about it and uh, that's that's where we're at today so I think the number last year was right around 300 what does it look like it will be this year Yep. So we've got 360 registered uh, and we're anticipating anywhere from 40 to 50 walk-ups. So we're planning for about 400. Um, so a little bit more than last year. Um, we don't, something that's kind of unique and, and goes either way, but uh, we don't allow guests to come to, to Legacy Weekend. It's just just the former football student athletes so that we can really revel in that idea of networking and the brotherhood and connections and everything like that. It's not really meant to be an entertaining weekend, rather uh, an opportunity for our current players and former players to connect. So um, that that obviously puts a, a kink in some plans for, for guys that have families and everything like that. But we're getting – we're planning for about 400. What, when you started trying to track these guys down, was it a hard task? Was it easy to track them down? It seems like a lot of, of the former players have really embraced this pretty quickly. No, it, it wasn't. It just took a little bit of organization. You know, we've got, you know, Monogram Club and an Alumni Association at Notre Dame do a phenomenal job of engaging our alumni population in general. So we had a, a pretty good database of, of general contact information, mm-hmm. uh, but getting that updated, you know, professional experience, things like that, where guys are currently, that took a little bit of elbow grease, but we've got, you know, 900 to 1,000 former players in our database. So it's it's gone good. So 
for people that didn't follow this as closely as they should have last year, <laughs> uh, it's not just guys coming back from the blue gold game. There's a lot of other things and opportunities that go on. So w- w- kind of give us the lay of the land of what, what's going to happen next week. Yep. So we've got uh, a variety of, of events throughout the weekend, starting on Thursday, April 20th. Uh, with our legacy dinner, which is basically a, a casual career networking dinner. And, and that, in my eyes, is kind of the highlight of the weekend. So uh, our former players get with our current players, have a dinner, exchange stories, um, give our players advice, uh, you know, reminisce about the good old days and things like that. That's 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 kind of the marquee event in my eyes of the weekend. Uh, we'll have a featured speaker. Last year, Tracy Graham spoke and told his story and, and has a phenomenal story and really inspired a lot of our players. This year, we'll have Rod West, who's, you know, probably one of our most accomplished uh, accomplished football alumni. He's a president at, at Energy and was kind of the architect of getting uh, New Orleans back online after Katrina. He's on our board of trustees, former president uh, of the Sugar Bowl and currently on the, on the CFB uh, playoff committee. So, That'll be a great event. Friday morning, we'll have a golf outing. Uh, Friday night, there's a social. And then Saturday morning, we'll have a tailgate where our former players will get together with our recruits and, and get together before the Blue Gold game. So lots of events going on, lots of connections uh, and things like that. It's a good thing you weren't having this on Monday. You could have built in a snowball fight. I looked at the <laughs> <laughs> it's 82 today it's going to be 37 on monday at south bend you don't like the weather just wait a day it'll be good <laughs> uh Hunter, i think i think it's supposed to get back up to, to the 60s next week so we should be good for our golf outing yeah well, by right. the end of the week i think it's it's looking pretty good what what have you learned about the football alumni base through this process i think just their eagerness to to give back and, and to contribute and help our current guys you know i was kind of shocked uh, that something like this hadn't been built before. Um, and, you know, there's different variations of it. Holtz's Heroes and Reggie Brooks does an unbelievable job kind of with that. But mm-hmm. they're just so eager to give back, and they're so bought in to what Coach Freeman's mission is and where he's taking the program and everything like that. So that was something that was a little bit surprising to me. I'll tell you, Hunter, I was surprised too. There were guys, frankly, that were pissed that there weren't better relationship and they've yep. been so eager to and then when you I mean the reaction that I was able to glean last year everybody it was a win 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 it was a win for the alums it was a win for the current players but recruits loved it no doubt former players so is there um you know obviously you have a bigger number is there anybody I don't want to say notable but like a, a big name that didn't come last year that's coming this year that you could share big name. Yeah. You, going back to your, your first point there, there, there have been guys that graduated 30 years ago and last, last spring game was the first time they had been back, which is such a shame at a place like Notre Dame that prides itself in connections and the network and everything like that. And it's such a unique place and the connection that people feel with it. So it, it was really cool to see that, but um, we've got, 14 or 15 current NFL guys that are coming back, which is awesome, obviously from a recruiting standpoint, but also awesome in that they stay connected. And it's not just a career thing and meant for people who are successful in their professional lives, not football professional lives. It's, it's an opportunity for those guys to come back and stay connected as well. I think the most notable uh, is probably Brady Quinn. He's coming back. Um, But there's, there, you know, 
Rod West, obviously, is, is super notable. Jay Jordan, uh, there's some pretty heavy hitters. Hunter, you so excited about it. You spent a very short amount of time away from Notre Dame after you graduated to getting into the into your career, and then came back to Notre Dame to work at Notre Dame. What what brought you back? Yeah, so. Right when I got done playing, I actually interned under Ron Paulus when he was our director of player development. And that's just kind of what I wanted to do. You know, I had been through quite a bit of adversity and I felt like I could use that experience to help guys. And uh, that that's really what drew me back. You know, my internship was up in March of 2018. So I went and got a job in Chicago. And then luckily Ron Paulus got promoted to his current position and brought me back. So it was just right place, right time. What's the difference between what you were doing last year, since you're doing this event both times, what's the difference between what you were doing last year and what you're doing this year in your new role? Yep. So last year in, in my uh, player development role, I was specifically focused on our current football student athletes uh, and our football alumni population. So now uh, I'm also in charge of all of our alumni engagement for all sports. So I'm just kind of getting settled and this has been on the books, but uh, this is something that we're we're trying to build out for all of our student athletes around the world. So all the former women's basketball players are going to fly to France this November. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can find somebody to front the bill for that. But yeah, that would be great. Um, Hunter, your your former role, Amir Carlisle, has slid in that role. What has it been like to see him back on campus and, and get into that role? It's it's been great. Amir and I had a a really good relationship. We played together for three years. Uh, and he's just one of the happiest guys that I've ever been around, does an unbelievable job connecting with guys and has really uh, made a seamless transition. He's doing a really good job there. Uh, having Ron still there, who had been in that role, and obviously me there to, to you know bounce ideas off of and ask questions that have been great, but he'll, he'll do a great job just in his ability to connect with our guys. I'm going to go just a little bit off topic here and ask you, I mean, you're around the team, maybe not as much as last year, but how do you see Marcus Freeman as a second-year coach versus his first year? What what are maybe some of the differences? Where's, where's he grown, do you think? I think just his confidence in, in the day-to-day operation of the program. Not that he didn't have that last year. You know, he's modeled a lot of what he does uh, from what he learned from from Jim Tressel and, and the success he had at Ohio State and everything like that. But just a year under his belt has, has been there, done that, uh, learned some things the hard way, and, and now he's uh, really assured in the way that he runs the program from an operational standpoint. Hunter, you, in, in your role as director of, of football player development, you were certainly a, a, able to make an impact on a number of the, the football student-athletes. Was that – always something that you wanted to be a part of is that something you've grown to appreciate in in the roles you've had what how would you sort of explain that yeah just like i said uh, a minute ago just using all the, the the points of adversity that i had gone through as a student athlete and being able to share the, those stories and uh, have somebody for them to lean on when those guys are come across adverse situations and things like that that was really why i did it just to have you know a, a mentor a big brother somebody that's walked in their shoes that's that's what got me out of bed in the morning would you be willing to tell our listeners the adversity that you're referencing that you went through personally yeah absolutely so um i had three heart surgeries while i was in college had a congenial heart defect called wolf parkinson's white uh the way that they explained it wasn't plumbing so it wasn't like i had my arteries were clogged or anything like that it was an electrical issue so 
being set back, I was a top 100 recruit coming in um, and obviously started one game at Notre Dame. So that was a pretty big point of adversity for me. I lost my dad uh, when I was in high school to a heart attack. And, you know, so that was obviously in the back of my mind. So getting mm-hmm. through that was big for me, but taught a lot of really good life lessons and, and uh, helped me really thrive in that role. Wow. That, that sounds like a book, Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there at some point. I've got I've got plenty of stories that I could put in the book. Are in the new role, are you still able to interact some with the current players and even though that's not your job? Yeah, absolutely. I think sort of the vision for this role. So Reggie Brooks was was sort of in this role, but this role has been sort of shifted over to our performance department of, of Notre Dame Athletics and that it's really going to be focused on how we can utilize our alumni network for our current student athletes as they transition into the real world. So um, I'll be able to, to, to connect with our current student athletes quite a bit. When you make it out to football practice, is it impossible you, for you to stay away from the offensive line? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Blake Fisher is one of my favorite people on the planet. So even still, he's when he wins a rep or loses a rep, he's looking over his shoulder, smiling back at me knowing that I've got a one-liner for him and I kind of go back and forth some, some witty banter. So, but, uh, but yeah, and, and coach, coach Randolph has done an unbelievable job with those guys. Uh, he's got a really solid group and it's, it's fun to watch. You were on the team with so many really great players. And then you have these two tackles on this team right now. I, what's your sense of the ceiling for those two guys? Um, I, I would say their ceiling is much, you know, obviously Ronnie Stanley, Zach Martin, Mike McGlinchey, Quentin Nelson, Nick Martin, Chris Watt, all those guys are, are unbelievable players. But just how ready these guys were to come in and play from the jump. I mean, Joe Alt is a physical specimen. Obviously, his dad played paid huge dividends in his development as, as an offensive lineman. Blake Fisher uh, is one of the most athletic, if not the most athletic, 6'7", 315-pounder I've ever seen. Um, and, and that, that's, that's been from day one. So it's been special to watch. Uh, I know, you know, Mike McGlinchey is my best friend in the world and, and he had to work every single day. He was a driving range pro, uh, and, and drive blocks and pass sets to get where he was. It, it didn't come natural for him, but these two guys, it just comes so naturally and they've got the same work ethic as, as that elite sort of fraternal we've got. So, um, it, it's going to be fun to watch them progress. Is there any uh, buddy kind of in the younger classes, sophomore, sophomore group that maybe has caught your eye where you say, hmm, this may be a big time guy coming up? Yeah, we've got it. I actually had the opportunity to sort of help the the offensive line scout team a, a little bit uh, last year and, and got to know those guys really well. A really unbelievable group of freshmen, Billy Shrouth, uh, Ty Chan, Emil Wagner, Emil Wagner's going to be one of those guys that's just, just going to be a freak of nature uh really really super athletic he's gained about 30 or 40 pounds this offseason uh and just is in total control of his body he's going to be he's going to be a really good player so uh, i think we're going to be be able to reload here soon hunter uh, under harry he especially the offensive line group was one that sort of even the guys that have moved on sort of came back for practices and that was a regular part of that i don't know that we've seen as much of that with other position groups do you think that there's a want or, or willingness for other position groups to sort of develop something similar that the offensive line has done there? Yeah, I, I think so. I think it's just kind of inherent for offensive linemen. You, we're a brotherhood, and it's just, you know, 
there's no other position in sports, not just football, where five guys literally have to be able to predict each other's movements on every play. Um, so it, it's just kind of a part of it. And that's something that Coach Stand always instilled in us was being together. Everything that we did was together. Um, so that's that's just kind of, I think, fed into mm-hmm. them coming back and wanting to, to instill that in, in the younger groups and everything like that. But I think it's just kind of the O-line way is, is to be a brotherhood. Okay, Hunter, last one from me. My best Quentin Nelson story is off the field. It was when he and uh, – uh, what's the guard's name that played for Chicago? Alex Bars. Alex Bars brought a dog into Martin's supermarket and pushed it around <laughs> in the cart. So what's your best Quentin Nelson story on or off the field? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know if I'm able to share my absolute favorite, uh, for, for this forum, but I, I did witness Quentin Nelson, his freshman year, eat eight bagels in one sitting. Uh, it, it was probably one of the, the more impressive things I've ever seen, uh, just from a sheer volume standpoint, watching him put it away. That's, that's probably my favorite. All Quentin right. Nelson's actually a heck of a basketball player too. So watching somebody six, five, three fifty. Uh, doing 360 windmill dunks is, is, is pretty impressive as well. That is cool. Yeah, there's a there's an endless log of Quentin Nelson stories out there for sure. Yeah, uh, Hunter, that's all we have for you today. We really appreciate you taking time to join us, and best of luck with all the alumni events next week. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at TJamesND, and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from the Insider Lounge, and it's Adrian1477. Why can't Notre Dame seem to land elite five-star athletes? We had two on the line last recruiting cycle with Keon Keeley and Peyton Bowen and lost them. Alabama is averaging 58% of their past four recruiting classes being made up of consensus top 100 kids. Georgia is at 41%, and Ohio State is at 37.1%. ND is at 14.6%. Well, um, you know, you also noted that those are teams that are playoff regulars or won back-to-back national championships, and Notre Dame hasn't done that, although Notre Dame's been into the playoff a couple times. Here's how I look at it. I, I think it's a process, and now the goalposts have moved. So just when you get a lead recruiter who's more aggressive of going after a wider pool of the elite athlete who's been successful at getting them – at least on campus to visit, and which is a step. And now you have NIL in the mix. And I mean, that's a big unknown. We don't know from year to year how that's going to affect athletes. And we don't know from year to year if you're going to have the acquisition fees, how that plays into, you know, what the five-star athlete is looking for. You know, before the five-star athlete was looking for probably the best way to get to the NFL, with some of them really valuing education. Now that NIL thing is in the mix for a lot of five stars, not everybody. And certainly there's guys on Notre Dame's team. Christian Gray is a guy that couldn't have cared less about uh, NIL and his process. And he's, I think, an elite player. He's not a five-star, but he's a high, high four-star. So, you know, I... I think under the old rules, I would have been very confident to say Marcus is going to end up starting to get them with a little bit more regularity. 
uh, right now. I think we just have to see, but I think you still want a guy that's that caliber of recruiter that's taking the lead in recruiting. And I think Notre Dame's going to get the best possible classes with Marcus Freeman leading that charge. Yeah, it's funny to think, like, Keon Keeley, when he first committed to Notre Dame, that was before NIL was even legalized. Like, <laughs> NIL wasn't even legal. And that's how long ago he had committed to Notre Dame. Um, and certainly it was unfortunate to lose him and Peyton Bowen. Those are both really good players. Um, and Notre Dame hopefully has learned something from those processes um, and those recruitments. Um, but I agree that those are those are certain that's just added another barrier that Notre Dame has to figure out. Um, and I don't know that Notre Dame's been on the the uh, leading edge of how to handle NIL, especially when we're talking about acquisition fees when they're opposed to such things. Um, but no, but Notre Dame hasn't been the kind of recruiting team that uh, Adrian is referencing that Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State has been f- for decades. So it, it's 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 it can't just change with a snap of a finger from Marcus Freeman. Um, and there's a lot of things that go into it beyond NIL geography. Um, there's not a ton of five stars that live within driving distance of Notre Dame. Um, certainly those programs that were cited, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio state success is sort of built upon itself in those programs. The sec draws, there's a natural draw for, for kids to go want to play in the sec, Ohio state being the king of the big 10 for so many years. Now that that draws, whereas Notre Dame has its own, uh, things that it likes to highlight, but it's, it's certainly different. Um, Adrian's question included some stats. I was going to, I wanted to include some information based on like rivals rankings. So the 2023 and 22, 2022 classes, which um, Marcus Freeman had an impact on as the defensive coordinator head coach, they combined to have seven guys that were ranked in the rivals 100. Um, And that is the most that Notre Dame has had in two consecutive classes um since the 2013-14 class combination that that class those two classes had 10 um so that sort of speaks to like we the early results of Marcus Freeman recruiting especially in the 2023 class were were much higher than what they ended up being with losing some guys in the end of the process um you could even throw Dylan Edwards in there as a guy that I don't remember if he finished in the top 100 but he was up and down in in and out of it at, at certain times um so there's just a lot of um, unfortunate results that, that didn't leave Notre Dame with the class that it wanted, and it does have good recruits in this class so far. Um, Cam Williams is a top 100 recruit. CJ Carr is a top 100 recruit. Um, and they're looking to add more of those guys. So I think that it's not like Marcus Freeman's recruiting prowess still exists. Like that isn't it hasn't been like washed away by this early NIL surge. Um, and the the, the uh, complications that have come with that, um, but it also isn't. It's going to take some time. Um, I think I'm sure Marcus Freeman and the coaching staff and the recruiting staff will learn from some of the mistakes. Um, and some of them, I don't even know that you could qualify as mistakes. It's just like, well, what are you supposed to do in a situation like that? Um, and you sort of figure out maybe how to anticipate those situations better, um, and maybe not be relying on guys that maybe aren't. Um, as reliable as they once seemed. Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. I know you can't draw too many conclusions from spring practice. However, based on what you've seen, do you think ND is going to be better or worse this fall? 
than you thought they were going to be before spring practice started? I would say better, but I'm doing a lot of projecting to kind of reach that thought. Um, the the safeties and the defensive line were problematic for me going into the spring. I've been pleasantly surprised with the defensive line so far, although I'm not sure how much they've been tested at this point. I love the top three safeties. I, I would feel a lot better if uh, Marcus Freeman grabbed a fourth rotational guy uh, that he could count on, and especially in case of injury, that doesn't have one bad shoulder. <laughs> that doesn't have one bad shoulder, and 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 Thomas Harper is probably going to play, be the full time nickel. So I don't know how much actual safety play he's going to do. And you know, I like Ben Minnick and Adon Schuler's working hard, but you know, especially with Ben now missing some time in the spring with an injury, I I don't know that you could count on either of those guys. So. The depth there, you know, the wide receivers have been kind of impressive and you you like the pieces on the offense, even though it hasn't looked all all great together. I maybe be a little bit more hesitant if I didn't see Sam Hartman play at such a high level for so many games at another school with a much inferior offensive line. Um, so again, yeah, I feel feel better about it, but I am doing a lot of filling in the blanks rather than having visual proof. <laughs> yeah. And so because of that, like, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say either because I, I don't believe that like what I see in the spring changes my opinion on that, like it, it, in the macro. Um, but if you made me choose, I would go with worse because I think Notre Dame will be better than what I've actually seen but that's based on giving the offense patience to figure itself out and not due to what we've actually seen this spring. And, and while the defense has looked better than anticipated, I don't know how much of it is like based on play calling versus like talent. Like I think they're, the defense is being put in a lot of good situations where they're overload blitzing guys and, and confusing the offense and, and putting the offense in bad spots. Um, so, I mean, can Notre Dame do that in the fall? Certainly. Um Will it be as successful? I don't know. Um, so I, I I would go with worse. There just it, it hasn't been an overwhelming spring, in my opinion, to say that it would be better. Um, so if you're making me choose what Marie is doing, I, I would lean towards worse. Next question is from Charles W. Wolf. Who has impressed you the most this spring? Well, I know sometimes I get carried away, so I'm going to go with <laughs> Um, one guy on offense and one guy on defense. And I think the best player on each side of the ball has looked like the best player on each side of the ball. Joe Alt at left tackle and Ben Morrison at cornerback. There's some other people that have surprised me, but the absolute best two, I would say those two. Well, this is the upset of the year that I have more choices than you do. <laughs> I also appreciate that. <laughs> um uh, so I, I sort of split them up into two categories. Like one was like guys that I know are good, but have continued to look even better. Um, and that's linebacker JD Bertrand and running back Audric Estime. I think both of those guys have had really good springs um, and, and have continued to elevate their games. Um, and then, and then guys, and I, I first like, yes, I agree. Joe all and Benjamin Morrison have looked great too. So yeah, I'm not like, uh, uh, I'm not saying that they haven't, um, 
And then then I went like with guys that I think needed to impress this spring. Um, and so my choices there were wide receiver Tobias Merriweather um, and cornerback Jaden Mickey. I've, I've liked what I've seen from both of those guys and their ability to compete and um, take better advantage of their opportunities this spring that they were able to do um, in the fall last year. Now, granted, Tobias Merriweather didn't get a lot of chances in the fall, um, but uh, I think I think both of those guys look to be on the trajectory that we expected them to be on. Um, and there's reasons to reason to be confident that those guys will make meaningful impacts on the team this coming season. All right. Next question is from Nathan Reynolds at enforcers 2117. I feel like I keep hearing about the freshman wide receivers and Tobias Merriweather. Can you talk about Jaden Thomas and what you've heard and seen from him? I was going into this year thinking he's going to be a breakout star with the flashes and plays he made last year. Yeah, I think sometimes in just what the media, including me, I'm including myself in that, tend to write about as more the unknowns going into spring. I think that we all thought Jaden Thomas would be one of the better receivers. I think he'll show up in the blue-gold game as he did last year. Uh, I think in some of the practices that we've seen, we've seen him yield reps to Chris Tyree because they want to know what Chris Tyree is, a slot receiver, if Chris Tyree wasn't making that move, I think we'd see more Jaden Davis and we'd have more highlights to kind of report on him. But I think he's going to be, I'm expecting him to be an important part of the wide receiver rotation. And the guy looks like he could play linebacker. <laughs> yeah, I, I think Jaden Thomas is someone who's reliable and has the chance to impact the team big time this season. Uh, I think the Tyree thing was something that I considered as well. I think that they're, pushing for Chris Tyree to get opportunities at the slot, given that it's a new position for him. Um, but in my opinion, Jaden Thomas feels more like a sure thing than he ever has before. Um, so I think there's certainly going to be a role in the offense for Jaden Thomas. Will it be the lead receiver? Maybe. I, I I don't know. I mean, Tobias Merriweather seems like the the leading candidate to have the most like impactful plays as a wide receiver. Um, or I mean, especially like explosive plays. But how the how it's gonna work out in terms of who's like leading the team in targets and those kinds of things, the passing game honestly hasn't looked good enough for us to get a great sense of that when they're doing team team uh stuff when we've been um there. But I do think that Jaden Thomas will be towards the top of that list in terms of guys that Sam Hartman um will be looking for. Um and so I, I think even though like Jaden Thomas's spring feels a little bit subdued. Um, I think that he's he's in line to have a have a big role and um he feels like he feels like a known commodity, which is quite the quite the leap. Um, because I think he was far from that going into last season or and even midway through last season. All right. Our last question is from at Russo nineteen fifty seven. Did Caleb Smith leave the team? Or I guess I should say questions. Did Caleb Smith leave the team? Also, is Prince Kali transferring? If Smith leaves, will Notre Dame seek another wide receiver in the portal? Well, keep in mind, we have not spoken to Marcus Freeman, who's going to be the spokesperson on all that kind of stuff uh, since the very first practice, which was March 22nd, and we have him tomorrow. And so these are a lot of the same questions that will come up tomorrow, in part because you know Caleb missed a practice for personal reasons. Holly missed a practice apparently for what we were told was a class conflict. 
Um, so let's go through each of these. Did did Caleb Smith leave the team? N- not so far as we know. Um, is Collie transferring? I mean, that's always been a possibility, uh, especially this spring, kind of based on how things play out at the weak side linebacker. And there's a lot of competition at that spot. And I think Collie is finally getting what he needs to do. I know Al Golden was really happy with how he's coming along, but I think if he's a guy that's not a starter or, or not a deep rotation guy, you know, I think he could um, consider if going somewhere else is better for him because, I mean, to be honest with you, all three of those grad senior linebackers have a COVID year. I doubt that they all or maybe any of them use that, but they do have that option. If Smith leaves, will Andy seek another wide receiver in the portal? Well, I mean, he yeah, he could leave uh, without having played a game. I'm not sure if that makes a lot of sense for him. I remember uh, when he showed up, he was pretty fired up to be here, uh, especially with Sam Hartman, you know, those guys were originally going to be together at Wake Forest, and it felt kind of like kismet that they were back together again. But he has not really gained much traction as far as a top-of-the-rotation receiver that we've seen. So uh, would Notre Dame add somebody? I kind of doubt it. I feel like the ad has been Chris Tyree. You know, K.K. Smith, the other Caleb Smith, is going to be here in June, and that would give them 10 receivers again. I, Especially with the way that the young receivers have progressed, I don't think there is a need to go out and get, uh, barring an injury in the blue-gold game or something, I don't think there's um, a need to. And you also have a couple of running backs who could do some wide receiver work, and that's Jeremiah Love and Jadarian Price. Yeah, I in terms of needing a, a a transfer portal guy if Caleb Smith were to leave the team, I think I think you would certainly search the portal to see if there's a quality replacement. If there's an obvious answer um to replace him, then I think you entertain that. Um he certainly hasn't wooed us in the spring. Um, but I don't think that's a cause for major concern. If 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 he feels like it's not working out for him, then that is certainly his decision. I I'd be curious, like what what is what is his obvious path to another school, and what sort of playing time would there be elsewhere for him? I I don't know what what that would look like. Where where would Caleb Smith end up next? Um, certainly, if Prince Cali leaves, um, it's a pretty natural natural transfer destination. I mean, probably the most obvious transfer possibility in college sports, other than um, I guess. Braden Shrewsbury wasn't a transfer, but he was an NIL uh, <laughs> or an NLI uh, sw- switch that he had signed with Penn State. And obviously, he's following his dad to Notre Dame as a basketball player. But like Prince Cali going to Vanderbilt, following Clark Lee and Nick Lazinski going back to his home state of Tennessee, like that would be a pretty obvious landing spot for them if he for him if he if he opts to do so. Um, but yeah, we'll get clarity from Marcus Freeman Saturday. Um, neither of those things has been deemed official as we're recording this on Friday afternoon. Um, could those things happen? I wouldn't rule either of them out, but we don't have a clear answer at this point. All right. That's it for today's rather brief episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, 
and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with the person in your life who ate the most peeps last week. Uh, we want to get to 100 ratings on Apple Podcasts in 2023 and would love to get there by the Blue Gold game, and we're just one star rating away. So if you've been holding out on us, now is the time to be a hero and leave us a star rating. Go to Apple Podcasts, find the Inside Indie Sports Podcast, and hit those stars and get us to 100 ratings. We would appreciate that. We will be back likely next week for another podcast for the Blue Gold game. We're still working on when exactly we'll do that, probably again on Friday. Um, we will definitely have a Football Never Sleeps that's on the books for Wednesday night next week. We've been putting that in our podcast feed as well, but please check it out on our Inside Indy Sports YouTube channel or give it a like if you listen to it here. Hopefully that is appeasing the crowds that like to to listen and not always like to see our ugly faces. Um, until next week, stick with InsideIndySports.com for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. <laughs>